Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Okay, this morning it is my pleasure to come and talk to you and I want to talk to you about three things. I want to share with you a parable from the scriptures. I want to talk to you about an invitation and I want to talk to you about hospitality. But what I want to start with is Netflix. I'm watching a... I'm watching a great series on Netflix at the moment, and in the very first uh, episode of this series, it's about two female detectives who are excellent at their job, and so excellent women leads is very exciting to find. Um, So these women detectives are doing their job, and there's one incident um, where one of the detectives is in the car with one of the victims of the crime that she is investigating. And so they're driving along, having a conversation, and then the camera pans to a little note that's stuck on the dashboard. And the note says, here I am. Just three words, here I am. And so you go, okay. I mean, already my spirit's pricked, but I imagine a lot of people's weren't. And so the passenger, and this is not a Christian, this is not a Christian series that that I'm watching by any stretch. Um, But the passenger then asks, what does that mean? And so the detective gets the opportunity to say it's from a passage in scripture. It's from Isaiah. And I just want to, in case you can't recall that um, passage off the top of your heads, which I couldn't, I had to go and look it up. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. And it says, the whole part of that verse says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I, being Isaiah, said, here am I, send me. Now that verse, even though I didn't know specifically the reference, has long been the cry of my heart. And I imagine it's been the cry of a lot of your hearts too. But why I thought about it this morning is that even though it's the cry of our heart, sometimes when we go out into the world, we get stuck on the how. Unlike that passage where Isaiah then got um, specific specific instructions about what he was to do and where he was to go, we don't always get that. And so we get stuck in the how. How do we share the word of the Lord? How do we share the love of God in our everyday lives? And so that's why that really simple note stuck to a dashboard spoke to me about this morning, because that's part of what we're doing in this series. We are offering, the people that are coming to speak are offering you uh, some words from scripture and then some ideas and strategies about how we can then share that with the rest of the world. But what I do want to say in relation to those ideas is that they're not just things that we've thought up when we've been preparing. They're good ideas, but they're not just good ideas. They're ideas we've found, not found, I'm nervous this morning, in their ideas we have found from looking at the Word of God. They're ideas that we see and you will see when you read the Word of God. Everything that I tell you today, I suggest that you go and do, is what I have read Jesus did. 
So they are strong, firm, good foundations for what we're talking about today. So to get you up to speed, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we are in week three of a series looking at what it means to be kingdom people. Not only what it means to know and understand what kingdom is, but also how to translate that into our lives so that we might become, through that, we might become people who reflect the kingdom of God in our everyday walk. That we would live lives that demonstrate, reflect, and share that kingdom with our communities around us. Now, some of you may be super comfortable with that idea, and you may be going out and doing that every day anyway, and yay, that's awesome. But some of you might right now be wriggling in your chair and starting to feel slightly uncomfortable. And that's, um, that's okay too, because that's probably me when I'm down there and someone up here says, okay, we're talking about going out to the community and sharing the word of God. Um, so it's okay. I understand where you're at. But I, what I want to say to you specifically is relax. It's going to be okay. What I have for you this morning is simple and ordinary and something that's totally doable. I'm not going to be talking about doing anything that's super weird. I'm not, going, I'm not saying we need to go out and share the word in a really judgmental or authoritative way. What I'm saying is that we need to be looking for ways to um, share the word in a way that's impacted our lives. I know God is good. He has come into my life and changed it radically for the better. He's still changing it radically for the better. And so it's about naturally, authentically, genuinely sharing that. So that's what we're at. Last week, Rob spoke about blessings and encouraging each other, and I think he challenged you to go out and share, bless three people this week. Did anyone get a chance to go and do that? You don't have to put your hand up. I'm not going to shame you. Um, but yay, well done. Thank you. Um, this morning, we are going to, uh, we're going to be continuing looking at sharing the kingdom, but today, we're looking at it, sharing it through eating and drinking. I know, I told you it was going to be all right, didn't I? (laughs) Um, So we're going to start by looking at the parable of the wedding feast as found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 10. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, um, open that up. Uh, We have the NIV version up there, which uh, is not the one in my notes, but it's the one in this Bible, so that's good. So we're going to read from Scripture. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those that have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they had paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
So this parable is centered on a wedding banquet, which was one of the most joyous occasions in Jewish life. Um, Preparations would have been extensive. Invitations would normally have been coveted. And the feast itself would have taken maybe a week to consume. So it was a big occasion and it was a privilege to be invited. But what we see here, I mean, the message in this parable, I'm, you've possibly read it before, and the message is quite simple. Do you know, one of the things I love about parables, I love that, God, that Jesus would take God's infinite wisdom and condense it to something that both the most ardent intellectual scholar could spend days and months and years unpacking, but also that I could understand, that we could come and get a glimpse of who God is and what he's saying to us. So I do love that about parables, but that's um, a little bit of an aside. Okay, so the main point of this parable is reasonably clear. The king who had prepared the feast was Father God, and the son whom he was honouring with the feast, was Jesus Christ. So the Messianic banquet had been prepared and the people had been invited to come and partake of it. But they didn't come. Instead, they chose to go to work and they insulted their host. So as a result, that invitation was offered to others. It was offered to the poor. It was offered to whomever they could find the good, the bad, there was no discrimination. It was offered to anyone and everyone. It was offered to us. We are invited. God says, you the outcast, you the sinner, you the Gentile, you the poor, you the lost, you are invited, you are accepted, you are welcome to my feast and you are welcome to my kingdom. And that is the invitation that we are talking about today. The kingdom of God ushered in by Jesus Christ appearing as an open invitation to everyone, for us and everyone. So what I want, one of the things I wanted to highlight in this parable is not just what the parable was saying, but how the parable was presented. And by that, I mean, metaphorically, the parable talks about coming to Jesus, coming into the kingdom. Practically, it was an invitation to come and share a feast, to share a meal. Now, one of my favourite memories of Matt's and my wedding is um, lots of lots of great memories, but one of my favourites is we were standing. I don't know if we were together or Dad came up to us. We were together, um, and. Dad came up to us and Dad had put on the wedding for us and he came up to us and he was so happy and he was so excited because he said, Kimmy, look, look around at this room. People are eating and drinking, they're chatting, they're laughing, they're sharing conversation, they're sharing life, they're loving this. And it made him so happy. I have a sense, and it's just my sense, that Father God is equally happy when he looks down and sees us sharing our lives, sharing conversation, coming together and eating and drinking and doing all of that. Why do I think that? Well, I think that because of what I read in here. You don't have to look too far in Scripture to find a reference to eating and drinking. No one knew how to celebrate the important stuff better than the Israelites. 
in, when the Old Testament prophets wanted to speak of the day God's reign would finally come to its fulfilment, they did so in the image of a feast. Isaiah 25, chapter, six, chapter 25, verse 6. The Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, will host a rich feast on this mountain for all peoples, a feast with plenty of meat and well-aged wine, with an abundance of food and the finest of wine. Food is often used metaphorically in scripture, but it is also used to mean just what it is, food, eating and drinking and the sharing of food. Now, there is so much more to understand in that passage, but today what I want us to bring away from that passage is that when the day comes and everything is made right with this world, there will be a feast. We will be together and we will be eating and drinking. And so we get to that third and final element that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is eating and drinking, hospitality. We've seen that hospitality will usher in God's reign and that hospitality ushers in the kingdom of God. There's, um, there's, an, there's an American pastor called Tim Cheshire, and he wrote a book, A Meal with Jesus, and in it, he asks his readers a question, and I wanted to ask you the same question this morning because it illustrates this point that I'm trying to make. He's talking, he, he does it when he's talking about the impact of meals on the Bible. He, Tim asks, and I'm asking you, how would you complete the sentence, the son of man came, dot, dot, dot. The son of man came, now you might say the son of man came to preach the word. Or the Son of Man came to establish the kingdom of God. Or the Son of Man came to die on the cross. And all of those things would be true. Or you might have another one. All of those things are true. But if you want to look at the New Testament, this is how it answers or finishes that sentence. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The first two speak of statements of purpose, why he came. He came to give his life. He came to serve. He came for the lost. Lost. The last one, the third one, is more of a statement of process, a method rather, why he came, or how he came, not why, we did why, how he came. He came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking, he taught eating and drinking, and in the moment right before he was to be taken to be crucified and he needed to sit down with his disciples and speak to them in earnest, he did so eating and drinking. You will find it, if you want to look at particularly the Gospel of, of Luke, you will see, I think it's in just about every or every second chapter in that book, there is mention of Jesus coming to or going from a meal. In fact, the Pharisees saw it and they called him out on it because they didn't like it. One of the reasons they didn't like it was because to them, who you sat and ate a meal with was important and particularly in relation to your religious purity. You didn't sit and eat with just anyone. You were particular. Jesus came and he ate with 
everyone, anyone. He ate with the sinners. He ate with people no one else would eat with. But he ate a lot. Well, we all eat a lot, right? <laughs> I think one of the, that's one of the factors why it's relevant because it's one of the few things, well, there's, I'll put it this way, there's not much that we do more in our lives that's appropriate to be shared with the community that we do more than eating and drinking. I mean, I eat at least three times a day. I'm guessing most of you probably do too. But there is a difference between how communities used to eat in biblical times and then perhaps how we eat now. Um, And that is that the focus on meals as fellowship would seem to have decreased significantly in our modern age compared to how we understand them to have been during Jesus' time. There is a sense that in this fast-paced, tech-filled world that we live in, that we've lost the willingness or the capacity to develop nurturing or nourishing relationships over the course of sharing a meal with people. We're increasing more... Well, sorry, we're we're communicating more, but the depth of that communication is less. When we eat, we usually do it one of three ways. We're either on the run, we're alone or we're at a table with family and friends. And I'm going to suggest to you that perhaps too often we find ourselves in one of those first two categories. Now, I do want to say that for some of us, that's not a choice. That's the circumstances of our life that we find ourselves in. But often, it's a result of the choices we've made. Sadly, our communities are not as hospitable as they once were. In fact, even our own homes, we're not as hospitable as we once were. Research, and this is a, a research out of the state, so it's not completely accurate, but it, it would be similar here. Research shows that over the last three decades, families that eat one, just one meal together at a table daily has reduced 33%. And of those families that do, half of them do it with the television on. Now, I know it's hard. I've fallen into that habit. We've fallen into that habit in our household. It's easy to do. It's the end of the day. You're tired. You've spent all your energy getting the meal. You just want to sit and for no one to talk. Well, I just want to sit. and for... <laughs> That's probably a bit too much information. Not all the time, just sometimes. <laughs> um, but we need to take mealtime back. We need to take back food and hospitality in our homes and in our communities. I want you to think about, I don't want you to think about it, I want you to invite someone this week to share a meal. If you, there's someone, okay, here's what you can do. If there's someone in your life you've been praying for, someone you've been thinking, maybe I'll invite them to church and that might seem like a bit of a stretch, that might freak them out a little bit much, invite them to a meal. No one ever says no to being invited to a meal. All we have to be prepared to do to do that is to open our hearts, our lives and our homes. Or you can cheat and accept an invitation to someone else's home. Last year, um, at the beginning of last year, we were coming back from school sport and we were dropping into a friend's house to pick up one of our kids. She'd been looking after one of our kids and we were dropping in to pick 
Harappan, we got to the door and we'd been out all morning and we were really tired and she said, oh, do you want to stay for lunch? And in my head I went, no, I really don't. I want to go home and do nothing. But there was something that in me, something in me that said, stop, go and share a meal. And so we did and I'm very glad we did because during that conversation, now this lady is not walking with the Lord. During that conversation, something came up and I could tell she needed, she had some forgiveness she needed to work through. And because I know her and because we've shared some life, I said, you really need to forgive that person. And she said, uh-uh, not going to happen. I'm not forgiving them. And so we got to talking about why I thought she should and the reasons I thought she should. And then I tag-teamed and handed over to Matt and he kept talking because <laughs> he's really good at that sort of thing. Um, and eventually she had a light bulb moment and she still talks about that moment now. All we have to do is be prepared to open our hearts and our lives. The rest will come. The opportunities will come. Okay, so what you do also need to know, having told you that story, is that I'm not standing up here because I am a fabulous hostess and I regularly invite people to share the word of the Lord. I haven't locked up this aspect of sharing impact, the impact of Jesus in my life. That is not, you would not say those, either of those two things about me. I don't have it down. Um, probably some of you do, and that's great. I want to encourage you to keep going in that. And every time I look at Bernd, I go, this man is such a beautiful example of what we're talking about today. He has made a habit in his life of inviting people to share a meal. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. But for the rest of you, <laughs> I want the rest of us, sorry, myself included, I, I wanted us to look at why we don't. What is it about us, our lives, our stories, that we aren't doing this, that we aren't stopping? And so what I've done is I've looked at those things and I've reframed them into seven truths about hospitality, about everyday hospitality that I'm going to share with you. The first is, it's not a performance. It does not need to be slick and it does not need to be perfect. People don't want slick or perfect. People want real. People want genuine. People want authentic. Leave perfect to Jesus. The second truth, you are not on show and your house does not need to be spotless. <laughs> Messier, yeah. You, your house, I'm permission, your house does not need to be spotless. Um, messy houses are one of those funny things. I always notice my own, but I never notice anyone else's. If you dropped round to my house right now, I might be inclined to keep you at the front door because it's a bomb site. But if you invited me over, I'm not looking at how tidy your house is. I'm not looking at how great your art collection is or whether your lounge is worn and you need a new one. I'm not even going to notice those things because I'm not there for those things. I'm there for you. I'm there because I care about you and I want to get to know you and I want to know what God's doing in your life. I want us to share our lives. Third truth, it's not a sales pitch and you do not need an agenda. You are not inviting someone to a meal to convince them about anything. 
And you don't need to be worried about thinking, do I mention Jesus over the entree or do I mention him over dessert? (laughs) You can, you can right now, you can let go of that. (laughs) No one is coming to your house expecting a Michelin star menu. No one expects you to have the culinary skills of the latest MasterChef winner. We are not coming for fine dining. We're coming for you. One of the nicest, and I had a number of them, but one of the nicest meals I shared with people last year was over some pretty ordinary curry takeaway. It's not about the food. Number five, you are not too busy. And I say that to myself. I am not too busy. You may need to reprioritise, but you are not too busy. Sixth truth, it doesn't have to be expensive. Sometimes we think, I can't do that, I can't invite six people over because it's expensive and that doesn't fit in my budget. Um, But what I want to say is, if you would eat it as part of your normally week's menu, of your normal week's menu, then your guests are probably going to be fine with it too. Remember point four, remember truth four, it's not about the food. The seventh and final truth is, that you don't need a reason. You don't need a reason to invite someone over a meal, but if you felt like you needed to have an excuse, that it would be weird to invite someone without having an excuse, then there are plenty. Just look around you and you'll find something. I actually think this is what reality TV was invented for. There are survivor finales, there are bachelor finales, there are plenty of finales that you, can, that you know people are watching, and I know you're watching them too, because they're still coming up on the TV. So people are watching them. So invite them over. Celebrate a birthday. Celebrate finishing exams. Celebrate going into exams. Celebrate the electricity coming back on. Celebrate (laughs) anything. There are lots of opportunities in your life to invite people for a meal. The kingdom of God involves an open invitation to everyone to come and to know and to be known, to come and love and be loved. When we open up our homes and our tables, when we invite others to share a meal, we are doing so much more than making sure that they are fed. We are making time and space to stop, to share of our lives more deeply, to partake in the physical and the spiritual nourishment that that moment provides for us and for the communities we live in. So, you will be aware from last week and the week before, if you've been here, that as part of this series, we are offering you a challenge to, for the next week. My challenge for us is to invite someone, or better still, three people, including a non-believer, to share a meal with you over the next week. Now, I know some of you will go, woohoo, challenge accepted, and you'll have three meals sorted by the time the day's out. But for others of you, you might be going, yeah, have you seen my week? That's not going to happen. What I want to say to you is that this is not a tick-the-box scenario. This is not something you check off and never do again. It's not a competition, and it's definitely not something for you to feel guilty about if it doesn't happen. What it is, is an an encouragement to start, 
to start developing a habit of inviting our communities into our lives. Because it's in that moment when... See, our lives with our communities, we are mostly normal, ordinary people, living normal, ordinary lives. And so the intersection of our lives with our communities is usually at normal, ordinary junctures. But if we let God into that, if we let the kingdom come into that moment, he will turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. And that's what we're after. So this is simply an encouragement to do that, to start to develop a habit. Start with one invitation and see where that leads you. See what happens. Hopefully, it will lead to another and another. Okay, as we wrap up, and that's about all I really have time for this morning. As we wrap up, I wanted to let you know, and I think I have already, but I wanted to let you know that what I've said today actually challenges me as much as it probably challenges some of you. I am at my core introverted, and so when I go home, it's my recharge place. We have four children, and so our lives are reasonably chaotic and busy, and so I haven't made having people over a priority. But in preparing for today, I have been struck by Scripture by, and nudged by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm coming this morning, and I have been coming as I prepared, and again this morning, to lay it all down before Father God and say, Lord, show me. Give me what I need to do this thing that you are asking of me. So if that's you this morning, or if you have believed any of those truths, if you have believed the lie version of those, then I want to invite you to come up the front. We're, we're about on time, but so if you do have kids that you need to go and collect, please go and collect them. But as the worship um, band comes back and plays for us for a little bit, come. Come and get prayer. Come and lay it down and come and ask the Lord to show you where it is that you could fit this concept into your life. Also, if you have any... Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. And if you have any other prayer points too, then please come up. Don't not come. We just come up the front because we are a community and that's what we do. We stand beside each other and we pray for each other and we share our lives and that's just a way we do it. But if that's too scary for you and you would prefer to stay where you are, that's fine too. There are no rules. Um, Just get some people around you to pray. That would be great. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you first for your word. I thank you that you are who you say you are and your word is true. And, Lord God, I ask that you would send your spirit to touch our hearts now. Lord, to sink the truth of what you have for us, what you're asking of us into our hearts. And show us, Lord God, show us ways that we can do that just being who you've created us to be. Amen.